Tight Zone World. My guest this week is Sam Herring of the band Future Islands. This is a long one, but I didn't want to edit it down. I think it's a tight interview, and I think you'll have a good sense of who Sam is and what Future Islands is about if you take it to the dome. I want to give you a quick update real quick on my new album, Talk Singer. What I'm going to do is premiere the whole thing via streaming early next week. So we're doing that, and then we're doing the record release show January 31st at Wind Up. Please do sign on to this Facebook event if you plan on going, because it's looking pretty paltry right now. Like last week, we're being hosted by SpliceToday.com, which is a real good look. We recorded this at Lineup Room. Check them out at lineuproom.com. And as always, this art is by Mike Riley. Check his artwork, comics, etc. out at mikerileycomics.com. Let's go in. I grew up in a small town called Moorhead City, North Carolina. It's on the coast about central, I guess central coast, north to south. And it's uh, the part of the North Carolina where the shore points due south. And um, that's where I was born and raised. But uh, I grew up in a small town next door called Newport, which is okay. kind of more like working class, like farming community. That's where my parents worked. So that's where I grew up. And I, I think that really kind of informed the kind of person that I am. How so? Well, so Moorhead was... There's there's money in Moorhead, <laughs> mm. and there wasn't money in Newport, um, and I felt like everybody was kind of on the same level. Everybody was on par, and um, you know, my father was the one attorney of the town. Yeah. So like in in a way, like I grew up with some kids who would you know want to talk shit to me, like like I had something, and I'm just like I don't have anything. Man, my dad represents your dad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <it's> like, <laughs> he works for free. Yeah. Um, that kind of stuff, but. Just like I think accepting people from all walks of life and just trying to be trying trying to fit in, you know that's all about like what being a kid is is trying yeah. to fit in um and uh, my dad's that kind of way where he just like talked to anybody for hours, and he used to drive me crazy as a kid, but now I'm that same kind of person, and that's something that mm. i that's something that i I think is a good quality, you know, where you just like vibe with anybody, yeah, as yeah. long as they get they show respect um you know it's like showing respect to people getting respect like that level like many times on this show we talked about these tight older brothers that put yeah. you on and i feel like you have one of the tightest yeah well you've toured with joel yeah um joel is really important to where i am now um because of how he shared music with me you know and we grew up really close uh playing sports together and stuff and he was cool enough to let me like hang out with his friends when he was getting into like, you know, seventh, eighth grade. And I was still a kid, you know, I, yeah. I was like four years younger. So it's really, it's interesting to think of me myself in that time, but cause Joel was just figuring out the world on his own. You know, I think when you have like the eldest, you're the eldest of a family or like a, a, uh, only child, you kind of got to figure out the world for yourself yeah figure out how it works but when you have like an older sibling or older siblings they kind of lay a path that you can look at and uh yeah. and see where that goes and that's something that 
I think in a way helped me and maybe in some ways hurt me because it's uh I've often thought about this idea like when you got to figure things out for yourself you go through the process of finding it and then eventually you come to kind of a consensus or an understanding of it but when you are just given the understanding it's a very different process and because mm. like I have problems sometimes going through the the hard labor of of working or coming to something like I just want to I want to create and I want it to be fast and I want to have a product or, yeah. you know, like, like I want to, but, but there's not, you know, because that's, I was just taught like, you know, um, instead of finding out for my own, like Joel shared everything with me. Yeah. So it, it kind of like, I kind of grew up fast in that way, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, still, still like the blinders of being just like from like, you know, a small town and yeah. those kinds of things. But he definitely opened up my world when I was really young, like seeing the, the Gigi Allen documentary uh, Hated when I was like 10 yeah. and Gummo when I was like 10. The early stuff was, you know, because he was into like m rock and metal yeah. um, through like uh, his middle school years. So like I was I was 10 years old rocking my brother's Danzig shirt. It yeah. was like his hand-me-down hand Danzig shirt that just made me feel so cool. And like wearing that to school, which kind of freaked out some of my teachers, but mm. I was just so happy. So it was like, the early stuff was like Danzig. I never really got into Jane's Addiction, which was big for him. Um, that was into early high school for him. Um, you know, I was just getting into middle school. But um, I don't know, I guess Danzig was a big one. His, his buddy Jason turned me on to Primus. That was one of my first... Primus was actually like the first band poster I ever had. Mm. You know, I had like a, uh, they were like sitting in lawn chairs with like a rainbow forest. Oh yeah, and like yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind of. That was like my first band poster that I hung out, hung up like kind of crooked on my <laughs> on my wall in my room, and uh, you know, and then this is like my my parents, but but it was when my thirteenth birthday. That was that was the big one. I think that's what we're getting to is like was. My 13th birthday, he gave me three CDs, three pawn shop CDs. He gone up to Havelock, which is like a, an army base, um, about 20, or kind of an army base city, 20 minutes up the road, 15, 20 minutes up the road. And then um, he gave me Diggable Planets, Blowout Comb, yes. De La Soul, Balloon Mind State, and, um, and uh, was it Channel Live, Station Identification. Oh, do, you know, wow. do you know that record? Yeah, yeah. So, so good. Um, and those three records just blew my mind. Cause I mean, before that, I guess he had just turned me on to grave digger six feet deep. Mm. Um, that was like the first, that was the first hip hop record that I ever like had in my room and played yeah. over and over again. Um, you know, that was eighth grade, <clears throat> eighth grade year. And, uh, I was like, would go home and write down these lyrics, you know, like, like transcribing lyrics and then bring them to like, you know, my advanced algebra class and be, yeah. like, be like, check this out, dudes. Like, <laughs> like, check out this rhyme. And my friends are just like, what is that? I'm like, it's funny, you know? I swear there's a fire, so I piss on the floor, you know? <laughs> it's like, it's funny, man. But, uh, so that was, so my brother knew that that was something that I liked. So he turned me on to these records and that was kind of it. I just kind of like lost my mind. And that's, that's the biggest thing, you know, really like early on that my brother um, kind of imparted to me was yeah. uh, was hip hop because he was just like he was learning about Wu Tang and stuff at the time. I remember I remember him going out and getting the Wu Tang Forever when it came out and stuff. Yeah, and, uh, stuff like that. They were just um, 
I don't know, because, yeah, I was just like a kid, but something about the word got me, and um, I started begging my dad to take me up to uh, take me up to pawn shops uh, up in Havelock in Jacksonville. Oh, yeah. Um, another, like, marine base, and just scouring, scouring pawn shops for stuff, because that was, that's what I knew. I was like, where did you get these? He's like, I just got them in a pawn shop. Yeah. So that was... It was kind of kind of crazy to me because you could find all kinds of stuff. I found all kinds of stuff at pawn shops back in the day. Um, you just like scour. People need some dough. They get rid of some totally. heavy collections. But um, but yeah, yeah. Those records, you know, I got really deep into Karis One um, uh, through finding out his production. Um, he did all the production on that that channel live. That's and, right. That's right. yeah, yeah. And then. Um, but also, I think I, I think around that same time, shortly after, I bought like a, a hip hop comp that was all like, it was like the beginnings of you know the beginnings of hip hop up until like '93. Yeah, and uh, it had you know like the message and Houdini yeah. and um, you know it had it had the bridge and the bridge is over. You know, so I was yeah. finding out about like that beef and stuff, and um, and I just started like my dad. My dad was cool enough. He make fun of me a little bit, um, you know, just be like, yep, you know, like most of hip hop culture is bought up by white suburban kids. Looks like you're just, <laughs> not. And, but he would buy me books. He'd like find a book at a thrift store. He bought me this book called The New Beats. Hmm. It was probably came out in like 96, 97. Um, and that, that was kind of like my early Bible kind of learning about hip hop. Cause that was, for me, that was the first music, like my brother, he turned me on to that, the rock stuff, but it yeah. wasn't like something that kind of took with me. But he, when he gave me, when he gave me hip hop, then my mind exploded. And then I was yeah. able to kind of branch out. And this is also like early days of the internet, you know? Yeah. So I was going online and finding out stuff, reading any bit of knowledge I could and, and just like going through shout out lists on CDs that I got. Like I would go to the pawn shop, buy a couple CDs if I like the CD, I would look through the shout outs oh, yeah. on the CD. Then I'd go back to the pawn shop. I'd have no more knowledge in my head, like names, names and knowledge, cross-reference. I was like, well, De La Soul said, check, check out Bismarck. So, yeah. And Kara said that. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to go and look for this and just finding things um, in that way. But uh, but yeah, yeah. And that's something that's always, that's still, you know, a big, big part of me as a, as a writer, a lot of people don't know that know me just like for future island stuff. Yeah. You know, the first time we hung out, we versed um at the Bonquet. Or maybe that wasn't the first time we hung out. I was thinking the first time we hung out with uh I was thinking that time we versed at the the Bonquet house. This was years back. With like square bones? Uh maybe so. Yeah. So yeah. that was after that was after Art Lore before Future Islands. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy stuff. Is that is that ever weird being like secretly an MC? Well, the funny thing is, because, you know, I've done a few solo shows, um, more solo shows than I've ever done. I did last year. Yeah. And, uh, or maybe, I'm sorry, maybe not last, like 2013. I was on the road most 2014. But uh, but it's funny because you tell somebody you rap and they're like, oh, cool. Especially if you're a white rapper, they're just like, oh, cool, you rap. Right. And then you rap and then they actually hear you or see you perform and listen to your stuff. And they're like, oh, you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You exactly. actually. Like you have you have style, you have substance, yeah. or you know you have a voice, um, and it's not just like that's something. It's not like Daniel Radcliffe like reciting right. Black Lives Just Hate a G on. He's a rap. Nah, he's not a rapper. He's a he's a good memorizer. <laughs> um, <laughs> the fucking difference. 
I th- I think it used to be a thing like it used to be like you can rap and do other things but you have to be known for the rapping first. Like you can't be an actor and then be be like I'm an actor rapper. Or something. Well that's that's my fear now. I mean, well it, that is like the thing. I mean, there's so many actors who then, you know, want to go and make a record and they can right. off their recognition. The money they got, they can put it down on a record and you got 100,000 fans. Cool. They're going to buy your record like crazy yeah. fans because you're a huge movie star. <sighs> You can do that. And I'm not saying that you're not an artist or uh, you might make great art. Uh, yeah. I'm just using that as an example. But it is it's kind of funky to be to be in. Yeah. Yeah, it is weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, but for me, it's not even for me. I don't feel like a secret MC. Like if you know me, then you might not you have heard know. me. You yeah. might not have heard me, you know, rap before. But that's if you know me, you know that it, <laughs> that's a part of me. Yeah. Totally. You know, if you've hung out with me for more than like an hour yeah you know it just comes up in conversation not not that i'm an mc but just like you will hip-hop is yeah such a huge part of my existence um through just the word you know through falling in love with the word um and you know performance my first performance was just like you know freestyling in cyphers and then yeah. getting on a stage you know that's my first time holding a microphone was getting on stage in a live cypher uh freestyle battles and stuff and um and so it's, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of funny, you know, and I don't want to, you know, because I'm working on stuff now, but I don't even want it to be, I almost don't even want people to know. Yeah. And not like it's a, not like it's a secret, but I would want to put out a record that was just, uh, it kind of flew low to the ground and the heads got, you right, know what I mean? Right, right. Like so heads get it, then I'm fine. As long as the heads get it. And that's the way I feel when I perform, you know. It doesn't, it doesn't really, you know, I just, I want, I want the heads to come up, you know, when like a 40 year old dude comes up and is like, man, that's, that's yeah. really good. <laughs> You're like, yeah. thank you, sir. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, a little bit of history because, you know, I'm coming from his, from a historical point in a sense, you know, right, um, right. my reference points, you know, predate me, but they're very relevant to the way that I, the way that I write, um, and the way that I perform. Yeah. So, uh. But I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's kind of funny. I think people listen to this will probably be like, "What the hell is he talking about?" <laughs> it's the same old thing. But it's not. You know, it's got, not. It's not for. It. Yeah. It's not for you if you don't like accept it in a sense. Like, yeah. Uh, it's just. It's a. It's of expression. You know. Right. And that's right. like. That was you know being an MC was my first. That was the first time I ever said like that's what I am. You know, mm. I was like I'm an MC, and then yeah. later on like I'm an artist. And it took years, you know, and then I was like, I'm a performer. And it took years to be like, I'm a singer. I still don't really say that, you know. <laughs> I'm like, I feel, you know, I feel most strongly about being, as being a performer. That's kind of how I take myself um, with uh, with the band and stuff. Yeah. It's just like, I perform, uh, you know, I'm a performer, I'm a writer. You yeah. Know? I perform what I write, you know, and I write from my heart. So, um, but I think kind of the strength of what being an MC was about through those early records I was listening to, I think that gave me some secret strength. You know, it is that, that like harder side of the ego, um, that, that I needed as a kid mm. to make me less vulnerable. Yeah. Does that make sense? Totally. You know, it's like, like revisiting it after a couple years off of writing, um, uh, into 2012, like I hadn't written, I don't feel like I had written a verse in like a couple years, um, I freestyle with buddies every once in a while, but 
I was going through a breakup and just wrote like one of the heaviest things I'd yeah. ever written, you know, because I, I get a lot of that out through Future Islands. But when you <laughs> when you have a larger page and it's not it doesn't reflect on anybody but yourself. Right. You know, you can be even more raw mm, um, yeah. than you want to be. Because yeah. with Future Islands, like for me, it's all about sharing real emotion, real feeling in, in a very raw form that people can digest but i yeah. think with hip-hop i feel like it could be you, you want that you want people to get it but you can also just dig deeper and be i don't know, a little bit more sure of yourself because i'm I, as a person i'm not sure of myself you know like there are things in this life that i'm confident about as who i am but um but i think with as as an mc i feel strong about who i am and that gave me an identity a kind of a funny identity as a kid you know um how so well, just just in the sense that it gave me an identity, yeah. Like outside of outside of anybody else's perception of me, and it's something that kind of persists in what I do and how I do it, which is just that. Which is, <laughs> it's almost like you remember those old Art Lord days, yeah. And how that character was such a crazy dude, yeah. And, and a, but his whole thing was like he was so sure of himself. Of like that he was the greatest artist who ever lived, right? And right, would, right. And everyone loved him, but the I, but that thing was he was a reflection of who I wanted to be. You know, I was able huh. to play that person because I wanted to be that confident person. Mm. Um, but I'm very much, I very much second guess myself uh, because that's the kind of person I am. Because I'm a little brother, <laughs> mm. you know, you got to roll with the punches. Yeah. Um, but I feel, I don't know. I feel like um, that gave me. <clears throat> that allowed me a kind of strength. Um, I don't want to say a facade, but in a sense, a way, you know, it is like that that strength to be able to roll with the punches and go through the world and feel strong in myself. Yeah. Um, and not because I'm not I'm not a pack animal. Um, very right. much like, uh, you know, lone lone wolf style. Yeah. Um, in my way. As you start to rap, like you're saying, you're you're like battling and stuff like that in. Morehead City. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just like, you know, it's like lunch lunchroom ciphers. There was only yeah. a couple dudes. You know, I, I went to, uh, I started, I started uh, writing, I guess, into my eighth grade year. I wrote my first verse, which is hilarious. Um, and then I went to school and shared it with some friends and, uh, and then kept writing over that summer. I was in eighth grade, into high school, and uh, just continued to grow through that. Um, figuring stuff out. And I think probably about ninth, I, f I can't remember if it was eighth or ninth grade, the first time I freestyled. And that was, you know, at home by myself. And my brother, had, Joel had just come home from from college and he was freestyling with his buddies up in Asheville. You know, he's continuing to share more music with me. This is freshman year, my, fr my freshman year of high school, his freshman year of college. And uh, yeah, so it must've been, must've been high school. And and he had freestyled for me a bit, and I was blown away by it. I was like, how do you do that? This is amazing. Mm. And then uh, he just told me, like, just you just have to start and don't stop. Mm. <laughs> I was like, okay. So after he left, like, I came home one day after school and just, like, uh, put on Karis One self-titled and just started. I rapped for, like, 20 seconds, you know, yeah. over uh, Who Am I the MC. Oh. And, that was, and that was, like... I was having like a moment in my room, like I did it. You know, yeah. it's probably it's probably nothing, but for me that was like a big moment. Yeah. And then I just like kept kept growing with that. You know, practicing on my own, 
continuing to like transcribe lyrics and stuff and and um writing um and I guess that all kind of changed through high school, 10th grade year. I started to write more poetry because I was like heartbroken over some girl. Mm. That's <laughs> to look into the future, uh, future islands. Um, and and that's I think that's when it kind of it the writing turned and it got more. I was getting into these more cryptic zones. Yeah. Um, and that that kind of came through freestyle too because. You know, I was up on this West Coast stuff, um, right? Right. You know, like n- not not the gangster stuff, but the really like the Project Blowed crews. Yeah. Uh, Freestyle Fellowship was huge for me. Um, Global Flotations, like through tenth grade, I was copping tapes off this website called Sandbox Automatic. Oh, I was yeah, just like, yeah. Mom, give me twenty bucks a week for lunch. I would pocket the money, um, steal lunch from. school. Cool. Mm. <laughs> and then end of the week, give it back to her and be like, could you buy me these tapes <laughs> online? And she'd be like, where'd you get this money from? I was like, I don't know. And then, uh, so I was getting, I was getting like crazy mail order tapes, just like blindly. What was that one? The Mud Kids. You ever hear that record? No, no. Four Track Mine. That's a really good one. Mm. I haven't thought about that in years. That was one of them. The Global Flotations was big for me. This crew, uh, this crew, Comedic Sons, um, who were, well, the guy King Concepts, he did a record with Kirby Dominance back in the day. Oh, really? Anyways, yeah, after after Comedic Sons, he did that. He was in a group called Fundamentals. But that was a really important tape. It was King Concepts, Project Ambershine. And uh, somebody posted that tape online a couple years ago, and I was just, like, crying in my room listening to it. <laughs> like, <laughs> basically, I was just like, oh, my God. Because it was, like, my 10th grade year, like, yeah. all ups and downs. It's kind of a mournful, slow album, and... Uh, amazing stuff really really interesting crew but i was just learning about all these all these people you know kind of in my i don't know like i was just in the boonies you know i I had no i had no outside you know the the nearest like good record store was in greenville where i went to college that's cd alley i went up there for the first time my ninth grade year with a buddy was a couple years older than me of a a friend i met my freshman year of uh, high school and that's when I found I bought my first freestyle fellowship album. It was Inner City Griots, this Divine Styler record. Do mm. you remember that dude? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dude, direct the Word Power Directrix. That first record is mm. insane. And that turned me on a crazy. That turned me on Styles of Beyond. Um, that was their first appearance. I'm just gonna run stuff down. No, oh, but so the that Roots maneuver. That was the other record. Those, oh, those three records. Okay. My ninth grade year. That that opened me up. Yeah. But there wasn't there wasn't like culture near. You know, I yeah. saw two shows in my in like my county when i was growing up that was all there was one of them was a benefit show for a friend who had passed and mm. the other one was <laughs> something what was the name of that band rustic overtones oh i don't remember that no there's this is no I, <laughs> I met them at a gas station uh they were just some dudes i thought they were a skate team i was like oh these guys are pulling a trailer that was like my senior high school <laughs> they're pulling a trailer with all these like skate skateboard stickers on it and i went inside i was like you guys got like a skate team they're like no we're banned we're playing in atlantic beach and they're like we'll put you on the list and that was like the weirdest show mm. it was like that that time they had like zach della roca on a song they're more kind of like a rootsy rock band oh okay they had like della roca huh. on a song and the <laughs> covers crazy. by shepherd fairy you know it was in that oh wow. zone. It was 2001 2002 <laughs> just like this is weird but those are like the shows that that i saw in my hometown just yeah. to say like there wasn't anything going on yeah just kind of like create create your own you know your own world i had buddies who made music um or just like played around the guitar garrett was doing secret stuff in his room the whole time yeah um yeah and you and garrett have known each other for a long time right? yeah me and garrett me and garrett went to 
middle school together, but we didn't really hang out. Maybe we hung out once or twice. Yeah. And then it's kind of funny because I don't think I don't think we liked each other. I know that I didn't like Garrett, and I don't think he liked me. I think that's why I didn't huh. like him. Because he was, like, really tall and skinny, and I was, like, this short, fat kid. (laughs) Just, like, screw that guy, man. Uh, Garrett's heard me tell this story before, so he won't have his feelings hurt. But we we had, like, similar friends, and then, and then, uh, yeah, yeah. We we started hanging out ninth grade year. We found out we lived in the same neighborhood, and kind of unified through, like, misunderstanding in in our worlds, you know? Like, uh... We started hanging out. This is, man, I'm sorry. I ramble like crazy. No, go We started on. hanging out because, like, uh, eighth grade year, we both tried out for the baseball team, and we both got cut, final mm. day of cuts. And so me and Garrett and, like, two other kids are sitting on the front port, front step of the gymnasium um, waiting for our parents to pick us up while we hear, like, a quarter of a mile away, like, the kids that got picked for the team, like, <laughs> celebrating while they have their first, like, practice meeting. And me and Garrett are just sitting there, like, and Garrett, you know, Garrett's is a very stoic individual, which is something that I've always looked up to and tried to learn from. Because I don't know when to shut up. And um, I'm, I'm sitting, he was even quieter than, I'm just sitting there like, the world's bullshit, man. Everybody <laughs> sucks. These people don't understand, don't understand us, man. And Garrett's just like, nope. <laughs> That's all he says. And I was like, yeah, you understand. You understand. He's like, yeah, man. This sucks. <laughs> and that was kind of our thing, like unified, unified in this hate. But we found out that year that like shortly after that we lived only like two blocks away from each other. Mm. And we were both on hardship. So all of our friends, because our parents, Garrett's parents worked for that for the high school we went to. Um and and my parents worked in the area. So I always went to a different district school. Yeah. You know, it's like I, I I lived in Moorhead, but I always went to Newport schools. And then I went to middle school with the Newport kids because they were my, my friends and then went to high school with them. And it was, uh, and so me and Garrett were, you know, 15, 20 minutes away from like our nearest friends that we went to like school with. So then we started hanging out and that's, that was, a, you know, that's really important too. Just, you know, Garrett was my, been my best friend since then. And, you know, we moved on, but it was funny because Garrett was like secretly learning to play guitar, like teaching himself guitar and um, really talented, but I knew him for, like, we were best friends for two and a half years before I ever heard him play mm. because he was just, like, shy about it. And um, he was making these weird, like, John Frusciante four-track tapes. Oh, wow. Because we were obsessed with the that first John Frusciante record. Yeah. Um, that was some another thing my brother, that Joel, turned me on to. And um, we were, like, obsessed with that record in, like, ninth grade. So he was he was doing his own thing. I was doing my freestyle thing, building. But <laughs> Garrett used to hate it, man, because we were just... We just like rap for two, three hours, you know. Like me and some dudes would just get blunted, and Garrett would be playing Goldeneye, and we would just be freestyling on the back porch, and Garrett would just be like, "I wish you would shut up." <laughs> it's still kind of funny. Um, certain things that Garrett still hates from those days, like com, like Common. He hates Common so really? much, and Common's like my dude. Mm. Anyways, like at what point did you guys start like forming a band? Uh, well, that's kind of funny thing. Like we, I never. I don't. I never really thought that me and Garrett would ever make music together or anything. Yeah. Um. And just because of Garrett's at that time, um, his shyness basically. Yeah. I didn't feel like he'd be comfortable being on stage. So, uh, 
So yeah, that was never really a thought. I went off, we went off to school. We ended up going off to East Carolina, yeah. just like an hour and a half up the road. You know the spot. Right. And uh, Greenville, North Carolina. And I, like my intention upon going off to school was to, you know, <laughs> to like be the greatest artist ever. And uh, as what? As a visual artist. Okay. I don't know, dude. Yeah. I was yeah. like, you know, I oh, was yeah, so a huge like painting. School, I was, a, right? I was young and I, I was arrogant. You know, I knew, I knew who I was and what I was going to do. And I was going to like break down these boundaries. You know, that was like my mind coming in. And, um, you know, I, I was off on the wrong foot with my parents leaving, leaving, uh, home because I had gotten in some trouble, um, I got into some like dumb trouble at school. I'd been like expelled, reinstated, expelled, reinstated, like in the same year, my senior year of high school. For and what? Then, uh, they found something in my car. Like it was a random drug search. They found something in my car. They mm. said was a roach clip, and I was like, "Man, I don't use roach clips." It was some <laughs> weird. It was some weird like backhanded shit, and um, like the school, the school doing this, and and uh, it got overturned basically by the state bureau of investigation, like that it wasn't. Taylor, like, it seems to have resin on it. So I got kicked out. And, like, you can't kick him out of school. So I got back in school. Anyways, it was this weird ordeal. And then my parents, just by the end of it, were kind of like, my parents are awesome. We're just like, just leave. Like, here's some money. Go rent a house in Greenville and just leave. Like, wow. we need some distance here. Yeah. You know, because you're not respecting our rules. And and uh, because I was, it's funny because my dad, I, it hurts his feelings now. I'm sorry, Dad, if you listen to this. Uh, <laughs> when I tell him, but he told me my senior year, he's just like, "You're a, you're a fucking prick. Like, like you're being an asshole. You're being an arrogant asshole." And I was like, "No, I'm not." It took me years later to to realize that I really was. You know, when you're 18, you think you're you own the world mm, or it's yeah. yours. In in a lot of ways, I think especially going away to school, like I was so confident in myself that I, I feel like I didn't even realize what I was doing. I was just having a good time and getting into some trouble but um there's other stuff involved i won't get into but but yeah, yeah basically i went off to school and you know i wanted i wanted to get into this art program that was you know i was going into the art school and then uh i wanted to find a producer to make beats you know i never wanted to be in a band like joel was in bands like i wanted that to be his thing um he was doing an electronic rap machine at the time which was an amazing right. band um which kind of like towed the line you know he was somewhere in between like uh, Latirics, like Latif and Lyrics Born and Glenn Danzig, like on a single track, you know. Whoa. Have you ever heard that stuff? It, no, I've only heard about it. Man, yeah. I just unearthed these tapes. I'll drop on oh, awesome. Um when I was back home over Thanksgiving and I was so grateful because I haven't heard the stuff in a while and it blew my mind. Like the stuff was really phenomenal and like that, that was really exciting to me. But to me, it was still like Joel was, Joel had always wanted to be, you know, or at least through high school, had always wanted to be like, a front man in a rock band or you know an mc or something but yeah but to me that still felt like i was blown away by what he was doing and and I, you know i idolized my brother yeah um and then uh but that's i didn't want the band thing i just wanted to be an mc and um and then i met william you know at that time i was listening to like weird stuff the whole early anti-con stuff you know yeah um cloud dead um uh the cloud dead what is it green think um, all that collective. And, um, so I met William and he was like, I'm a musician, like, or I, I'm, I'm makes, I make music, you know, like we met s first, second day of school. 
you know, we had like two classes together and then ran each other between our third class we had together. And uh, it's kind of funny because he was walking by me and he used to wear these like really cool sunglasses that you got at like Pizza Hut when Back to the Future came out. <laughs> and they had like kind of angular yeah. and like neon orange and neon green. Uh, and I used to have the giant chops, you remember? The giant sideburns. Oh, yeah. So like he's walking by. I'm like smoking cigs, like sitting cross-legged on the steps of the library, like just being cool, you know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> trying to make my presence known second day of school that, uh, that, I'm, that I'm in the zone. And then uh, William walks by and I'm like, I'm like, nice sunglasses. He was like, nice chops. And then we're like, so what's up, man? We have classes together. And we just became instant friends. But um, but so William gave me a, a CD that he made uh, that summer between uh, between the senior year and uh, freshman year of college. And uh, it's called Computerness. Yeah. If you, you I've remember never that? heard it. I just, Dude, I've it's crazy. It's, it's something like, it's something crazy like uh, 26, 26 tracks on one of those. You remember those little mini CDs? Yeah. The like... Uh, they, they held like CDs. Yeah, yeah, they held like two twenty-two minutes of music. Yeah, but it was like a thirty twenty-six track album on over twenty-two minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, it was really interesting. Like it, it kind of sounded like I don't know early like Kraftwerk playing around with the first Apple computer or something. Yeah, you know these kind of weird weird little jams. Um, they weren't quite chip y like Game Boy like. They weren't really like that. But something about them. Yeah, it it was really cool, and he just made it through some weird program on his on his like new Apple, um, you know that that summer that his like dad had gotten him to go off to school with one of those giant. You remember those things are like the weird pod, yeah, the pod Apple or Max yeah, totally. that are just had one of those. It's weird that computers existed, they still exist, I guess. Jones is still rocking that. Yeah, Apple. yeah, <laughs> that's what's up. Um, but yeah, so. So William gave me that, and I was like, whoa, this is weird. Like, I took it home. I shared it with Garrett, you know, um, and I was like, this is my, like, this guy I met at school, man. And me and Garrett were both like, this is cool. Like, this is crazy. Like, he made this? Yeah, man, he made this. And I was like, I was thinking to myself, like, I could probably rap over this. <laughs> you know, yeah. like, that was my initial thought. But then, uh, so we kept talking, like, me and William both wanted to do something, um, our, our, that first semester of freshman year, me and him kept vibing on ideas, um, kind of like making kind of weird jokes and weird ideas for performances. Cause I was really into performance art, uh, at that time, like, uh, through my senior year of high school into my first year of college, like performance art and pro probably my second year too. performance art was where I thought I needed to be in the sense of, um, because I was really technically skilled, like with a pencil, you know, it was like uh, creating hyper-realism. That was my thing. I could do that. I enjoyed doing that. But that was like, you know, that that entails sitting at a drawing board for like 16 to yeah. 20 hours at a time and just putting in work and just, you know, killing your eyes and your hand, you know, just spinning light little circles, you know, yeah. um, till, they get, till they get black. And then... Um, and, and and then my senior year, I discovered performance through some teachers uh, at the school that I went to uh, called Governor School in North Carolina. And I realized, like, oh, you didn't have to, you don't have to just do, you know, you don't have to sit alone in your room to create something. Like, you can go and do it anywhere. Like, if you have an idea, you can just take it on the street. Mm. And you also don't have to wait to share it. Because, I mean, for me, I loved... 
from a from a young age, I loved performing. And then once I found out about performance art, where you just like take an idea into the street, do something in the street, then you get an immediate response. Whether that response is positive or negative, yeah. you know, you create a reaction right in people's faces, you know, or you, you know, you at least become a part of someone's world for a split second yeah. and or two or three minutes or 30 minutes, depending on, you know, what you're doing and how interested people are in what you're doing. And I, I didn't really ever get to, I didn't get to go too far into that except through Art Lord, which would become yeah. me and William's project that we dreamed up um, the end or the, I guess the end of our first semester of college. So, and that was just, uh, yeah, that was the synthesis of Art Lord was that me and William already had like a, a name that we were creating things under um, at that time. It was called Ideas for House Crafts, um, which was just like me and him being awake for two days on Adderall, like doing, like finishing art projects mm. um, and getting into this thing where uh, I was, <laughs> I said, Ideas for House Crafts. I was like, yeah, man, it should be something like ideas for house crafts. And he was like, ideas for mouse pads. And I was like, yeah, like light beers for house dads. <laughs> and it's like, it just kept going in this like word game. And, uh, and that, and you know, in that first, you know, we're still like 18 year old kids. That was kind of our canopy. We're like, we're going to create together. Mm. Like this is going to be the canopy in which we, we do everything will be under ideas for house crafts, mm. which is still something that exists today. Um, you know, it's like our LLC that we operate under oh, with yeah, yeah. Future Islands, you know. Um, but the funny thing was, like, me and William, we're, we're studying for finals at the end of first semester. Um, William's ex-girlfriend um, at the time, but they were still friends, was over helping us study for this art history exam. And, um, you know, she's, like, showing us a piece of art and then saying, who is it? And I'm answering because I want to know the answers or I'm trying to get this stuff right in my head. And William's just laying back in a chair, just being like, I don't like that one. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> and uh, it was just like critiquing the pieces. And it's like, I don't care, man. Like, shut up. We got to like learn this stuff. And his his ex, is uh, Chris, Kristen, is just like getting fed up with him. She's like, I don't need to be here. Like, I don't need to be here helping you guys. Right, right, right. <laughs> and it's just like, uh, she says like, you're being such a, you're being such an asshole, man. Like, you're totally just being, like, an art lord or something. And then Ryan, who's my roommate, I don't know if you remember Ryan from back in the day. Ryan is just, like, stone in the corner, and he's just, like, laughing his ass off when she calls him an art lord. And then he's, I, I, I'm not, I can't even remember how the story goes. I think, I think William, I think William's the one, because I was like, how did it all happen? And he's like, William is like, or Ryan said, uh, it would be really funny if you guys had a band called like Art Lord and the Self Portraits, man. And we're like, okay. And then like a month later, we started the band. Oh, that's awesome. And so that was just like that idea. We were like, whoa, Art Lord and the Self Portraits. And then so we went, we did, did our stuff, went home for Christmas. And I started like kind of character sketching this idea of well, who is the Art Lord? Yeah. Like, what is the Art Lord? And it's funny because, uh, his original name, his name was Locke Ernst Frost, but his original name was Orlock Ernst Frost, and that's because of Ryan. Ryan's dad was a shipboat captain, and he'd always wanted to name, he'd wanted to name his son Orlock, which is like oh, a shit. boating term. It's like the, you know, <laughs> like the thing you put the oar of the boat in so you can <laughs> row it. It's like he wanted to name his son Orlock. And then, uh, so I was like, that's really interesting. So Ryan was kind of the genesis of that idea. And, uh, and yeah, we came back. I had written a song 
And we came back to college in January and asked our buddy BB, who was like the local record store guru, if he wanted to be in this band. You know, he was like, he's 10 years older than us, but he was like the kind of quintessential record store guy who knows everything. Yeah. And if you like hang out with him, he will let you into like his knowledge. Yeah. Like yeah. at first you're like, I don't know about this guy. And then you're like, this guy knows everything. Like I really mm. want to pick his brain. So we like, we used to, me and William used to go there after school and just talk to BB about records. It's like, this guy is amazing. So we're like, do you want to be in our band, man? Because he had, he had lied to us and told us that he was once in a band. We would find out later that it was a lie, mm. but he gave us the CD and was like, yeah, I'm in this band called Ruin Your Stereo. Like we only put out this one record, but you know, we've toured all over the world. Like, you know, we played Belgium. That's what he always used to say. <laughs> yeah, we played in Belgium. And uh, he gave us a CD and we're like, this is crazy. Just like these lo-fi four-track recordings. Like same deal, like 35 songs on a, on a CDR. And uh, we're like, this is awesome. We're like, do you want to be in our band? Because we thought he could play music. Because yeah. he was in a band. But it turned out he couldn't. And he was like, yeah, I'll be in your band if my friend Kimia can come in. And uh, And that was kind of, that was the history. The history like straight up. We practiced a bit, played a show at a house called the Soccer Mom's House back in the day. And then after that show is when Garrett joined the band. Mm. And that's kind of the the genesis. Like, like That would be like 2003? Yeah, or? that was. So our first show we ever played as Art Lord was February. It was Valentine's Day 2003. Yeah. And then uh, the second show, I believe, was March 28th. Uh, no, it was March 30th, 2003. And that was the first one with Garrett, which is a really big shift in the group because before William was the only person that could play music, you know, he never played bass guitar before, um, but picked up the bass because it would be easier for BB and Kimia to play keyboards. And we were like that first show, it was really this kind of like floaty ambient music with me essentially freestyling yeah. over, you know, in this faux European, you know, like voice about art history basically right right very right. but very much you know freestyle not rap form but just like singing freestyle singing over the stuff in very cryptic ways or um kind of keeping close to this character this this uh kind of misunderstood genius was you know the the character but uh but yeah when when we it was coming time for the second show uh, Kimia couldn't do it because she was getting ready for a senior project mm. and or senior exhibition. And I was like, you know, my buddy Garrett makes music. Maybe he can, you know, maybe he could be in the band, you know, because uh, it was kind of, I, I, like I said, I never think Garrett would want to be playing a band. And then I kind of got the impression, and I felt, I still feel bad about it today. I kind of got the impression that he was like hurt. <laughs> That he wasn't that he like invited. that I didn't like yeah. ask him into the band mm. and I was just like do you want to be in the would you want to be in the band Garrett and he was like sure <laughs> and I was like okay cool like I'll see I'll see you know like yeah. after that first I because I just felt I felt bad as like my homie but I just didn't think he'd want to do it and then um because you know him and William had become friends by that time like they were cool and it was funny because BB was just straight up like. I don't know. I don't know about this guy. Like, I'll have to meet him. Because he hadn't really, he didn't really know Garrett. And I was like, you met Garrett. Like, he's my best friend. They're like, let's bring him in for like a trial period. Like, like he can, he can come for practice. We'll decide. And I'm like, William, tell him like Garrett's a good guy. But anyways, you know, of course, everything went fine. Garrett did come in at first practice with like a guitar. And we like 
proceeded to make the saddest, slowest, like funeral dirge music. <laughs> and we we're like, well, that was weird. Like, here's a keyboard, Garrett. Like, go home and learn, like, learn the keyboard. Oh, wow. have you ever played a keyboard? He's like, no. He's like, we'll take this home. Oh. And then, and then the next practice, a few days later, Garrett had written like three songs, basically. Yeah. And uh, him and William just immediately kind of clicked um, musically and working together. And that was, that was Art Lord, you know, two and a half years we continued on. You know, Kimia stayed around till, um, till maybe uh, June, July of that year. And then it was just like a four piece. Was there a scene in Greenville, like before you guys? Yeah, there were scenes. It's kind of, it's, it, we came in at an interesting time. Cause like when I was in high school, there was a huge, for a while there's a huge rave scene, you know, like, oh. And it was like rumored that DJ Shadow lived there for a minute, um, huh. which I believe is actually true because yeah. uh, DJ Shorty and DJ Faust actually did live there, um, and they were all buddies. So Shadow probably stayed in town for a few months. I don't really know, but um, but that was late '90s, probably late '90s that when ecstasy was just like booming on the East Coast, um, uh, kind of dribbling down into North Carolina. Um, you know, a lot of that stuff was coming in to. Uh, to my hometown, a lot of my buddies were were messing around with that stuff, and so they would tell me about what was going on in Greenville because they would yeah. they would go and parties with buddies of mine who were older than me, um, weren't in school and stuff. So they would tell me about what was going on in Greenville, and then there was there was always kind of a weird like uh, hardcore um, emo scene, and not like not like the emo of today, but yeah, the yeah. real like you know cut your forehead up and you know break <laughs> break glass over yourself like breaking bottles on yourself and crazy stuff and i knew about that from my bro from joel you know um and his buddy jason uh but place like backdoor we we played backdoor didn't we, Did we ever play uh, yeah that the, the, it had like the all these shop? different names oh no no uh i think because we played there you with, and dan you, you guys and dan played yeah, we there definitely like played there with me. like power pants and dan yeah and, um, Dan probably played there a few times, but, uh, oh yeah, our first show together was at Peasants, yeah. which was a tight spot. That was a yeah. great show. Um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah Green so Greenville had a history of a scene, but when we got there, Backdoor, which was kind of the, the outlet where any kind of punk show could go on or like anything in that punk spirit, like we want to play a show. Can we play a show here? Okay, cool. You know? Um, and, uh, it had just been shut down cause they'd had like, a giant hardcore festival that summer and so some band like lit off smoke bombs inside the place and then like yeah it's funny my buddy jason was there the guy who turned me on to primus um okay. this is my uh Joel, one of joel's best friends growing up and he was just like yeah man the room was like filled with smoke and then all of a sudden like like somebody had like a bag of dirt and they were just throwing dirt in everybody's <laughs> eyes and this dude just kept popping like the lead singer kept popping like out of the smoke like because you couldn't see anything in front of you and he just like kept popping up out of the smoke and just like hitting people in the head with his like giant black dildo he would just like whack you in the head and then jump back and disappear into the smoke it was like it was crazy and so then because of that band and that show um backdoor was shut down for about a year um by by the fire department basically um and so they had to get their stuff up to code and you know, kind of let it blow over, and eventually they started doing shows again. But so when we started, there wasn't anywhere to play for us, like a band just coming up. So we just started playing house parties. Um, it was first first show, first few shows was at the house 
BB lived at the soccer mom's house. Yeah. And later that would be Garrett would live there. Um, and there were a few, there was like a lot of house party scenes. Like you, you know about that. You yeah, played, yeah. played the Banque and stuff. Um, and, uh, there was this great spot called El Rolando, which was like this kind of like Spanish via like across town. Mm. Um, it was really cool. There were some good parties there early and early art Lord stuff played there. But then we were kind of able to get into our friends, this band kick ass. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. We're able to get us into the, the, the one club there that doesn't, hasn't existed for years. Now it's peasants. Yeah. I, I remember feeling like playing there for the first time with you guys and everything, feeling like it might seem silly now, but it just felt like you guys were like, really really popular <laughs> like yeah dude, like, it was crazy <laughs> yeah it's it's it was really unusual like yeah like i think for like me dan pt burnham all different people like when we come and play like as part of this greenville scene it was like the best show of the tour so you know for all it was like yeah, some of yeah. the biggest shows that we'd played you know well it was awesome for us like you know and that was all those connections i mean that's why we're in baltimore today yeah you know all those connections were made um, through that first time we played with Dan. Yeah. Um, and we played, uh, it was funny, this guy Jim Caps, uh, he may still be in Greenville, but he was like a young kid still in high school, I think, at the time. I mean, hell, you know, when, when we met, we were probably still 19, you know, um, 19. Maybe maybe I had just turned 20. Mm. Um, I'd have to look through the show. Well, I'm, I'm older than you. I'm, yeah. I'm 33. Yeah, I'm 30 now. Okay, yeah, yeah. So you would be nineteen, and I yeah, would be yeah. twenty. Oh, you're are you talking about Jim or? Oh or, no, I'm talking about you. Oh, or okay. like me and you. Yeah, I was probably nineteen or twenty. Nineteen or twenty at that time. Yeah. Um. So we were like kids, but we were like we could sell out the local bar. Yeah, you know, it was and crazy. Sell like three or four hundred tickets. Um, and it was you know five bucks a head, like party styles. Yeah. Um, and usually like ladies and free, but you make like <laughs> you're like. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, that's Greenville is a crazy party town. Then it's, it's so much different now. But um, but yeah, like we met Dan because Jim Caps was like, "Hey, I was wondering if this is probably like late two thousand three. Like, I was wondering if you guys would like headline this show at Backdoor, so I can bring this noise musician through that I really am into." And we're like, "Okay, cool." And Dan Deacon was the guy, and it was like his. It was his first tour. It's funny because it's like. He it was like he's like I'm on my first U.S. tour, and if you look back, it's like seven shows, you right, know, right, right. <laughs> up and down the East Coast. I feel like he went south at Greenville, but maybe maybe Greenville was the farthest south. Mm. I feel like he went all the way down to Tallahassee, but that seems insane. Um, it is possible though. Um, he just played like seven shows in between New York and Tallahassee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, I didn't know what to make of Dan. Um, at first, I was yeah. At first, I was like this guy seems a little crazy. And then when he started setting up, I was like, I think maybe he's autistic. Like, Cause he <laughs> seems like he knows, like he was plugging in these insane stacks of uh, like electronics and all these patch cables. Just like in my mind, he just had like a hundred color coded patch cables that were all variations. Like, like, you know, uh, you know, it's like, there's 10 different shades of blue and this goes just right here right, right, <laughs> in my, right. in my mind now, you know, that's probably wasn't the case. But I was like, what is, like, is this guy autistic? And then he started speaking, um, and I was like, this guy's a genius. <laughs> I was like, the funniest dude. And I didn't know what, you know, it was really, really interesting. But so we met Dan and then ran into him. Oh, and he was with Cairo Wings, which was what, Alan Mozek and 
Ben. Uh, oh yeah, Ben, ben Fergal. Yeah, yeah. So we met those guys, and then a few months later, we played in this place called the Rats Ward. Did you ever play there? I in never Hampton? did. You've heard about it though. Yeah, the crazy, crazy, scary noise house in uh, Hampton, Virginia. I don't know if it still exists. Like we saw a guy get knocked out once the first time we played there, and the second time we played there, we saw a guy covered in blood. He was running down the stairs with a butcher knife in his hand and said, did you see a guy run this way? <laughs> the funny thing was, he was the guy, and I realized later, like, oh, that's the guy that got knocked out last time. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but we were just like, I didn't see anybody. <laughs> like, no. And so we, we became, Dan had already left. Like, he played the show earlier in the day. It was like a fest um, that second time. And uh, at the Rats Word, and <laughs> he left. But so he started coming through because he had he had such a good time, and that's how he met you guys. Like you and uh, Mickey Free came through, um, Nuclear Power Pants came through a few times. Yeah. Um, Blood Baby will come through later on. The Video Hippos, yeah, you know. So we were kind of like we always felt, even in those days, like kind of like a like a sister city, you know, yeah. to to Baltimore because because we just had so many so many friends and like made those connections, like had yeah. tight homies, um, and really like we didn't make it up. To Baltimore, like Art Lord only played there once, and that was the very last tour we ever did. Uh, August, September, two thousand five. Mm. Um, we played that old Talking Head. Oh with yeah, with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a crazy show. Like looking back, bar. It was yeah. It was yeah. bar raw bear, um, which was you and Jones and Mickey, or was that and Colin? Yeah, and Colin. Okay, yeah. cool. And then, uh, and then uh, Dan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like an insane kind of an insane show totally um because i didn't even know about bar then but that summary record is probably one of my all-time favorite records yeah he's amazing like uh yeah that record is a mind blower say like that show was like the time you made it up to baltimore and then you guys broke up shortly after or? yeah yeah like so we did that tour and then probably just a few weeks later like uh, <clears throat> uh bb called me one day and was basically like yeah, man, I'm I'm moving out of town. Like, like I got to go home. Blah 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 to to stay with my mom's, um, just like personal stuff. And he was like, I was like, uh, what? And he's like, Yeah, I don't think I can do the band anymore. And I'm like, What? Like I was just waking up at like two o'clock, you know, on like a Saturday <laughs> yeah, or a yeah. Sunday, you know. And he's like, Yeah, I, I have all the gear in my van from the last show. Like, can you like can I leave it at your house? And I'm like, Okay. And so he came over, unloaded his stuff. And then I had to, like, call the guys and be like, yo, you know, BB just had to leave town. So that was pretty much it. Like, we were just like, well, I guess we aren't going to do this anymore. And uh, and that was that, so that was September 05. And then um, we did a couple more shows, like shows that we had already agreed to play. Yeah. Like, we did a show in, I think, November and December for this compilation that we were on. Like, the only recorded material that... That uh, Futrons ever actually officially got, or I'm sorry, Art Lord and the Cell Portraits ever officially got released. Yeah, was this one song in this compilation, and we we played a couple shows to promote it in our in Greenville and Chapel Hill, and uh, and yeah, so it, that was kind of a weird time because I was going through a lot of personal stuff, you know, I had some bad, I had some bad drug addiction problems that I was going mm. through, and um and didn't really know what was happening, and the only thing that I really had going in my life was music. Yeah, and then I was like, well, I don't have that now. And uh, I right. felt kind of alone. You know, that's kind of the resetting period from like 18 to 21 where you're like, you think you know everything and then you realize like you're, you've are you dug a really deep hole for yourself. Mm. 
And you're like, you know, I was like flunking out of school. I was in debt to people that you do not want to be in debt to. And mm. I was kind of scared. And like my only out was music. And then, you know, that was, it was over the next six months where my, I kind of transformed where I was at by pretty much like leaving town, you know. That's right. Yeah, I just left Greenville one yeah. day. You know, I was, it was a little bit longer. It was like July. Um, I mean, we started Future Islands in early January um, of 2006. And that was, it's funny because that was because <clears throat> we had promised some friends of ours uh, who were based out of like the Portsmouth, Dover, New Hampshire area, who uh, oh, this yeah. band called the Texas Governor. Um, they had been friends of ours for a while because on our very first US, our very first tour that we did out of North Carolina, we played in Portsmouth and had an amazing show um, with the Texas governor. And that was through a connection that William had to this band that he saw. The lead singer of the Texas governor was like his project. This guy, Dave Gulkazian, was once in this band called The Elevator Drops from Boston, who William was obsessed with. He saw them open for um, for the Smashing Pumpkins in Chapel Hill, when he was in middle school, I think. Okay. Like when it was like 13 and saw yeah. the elevator drops open for them. And they were kind of this like weird glam rock band. They dress in these like, just like face paint and these crazy like glittery um, clothes and stuff. Yeah. And then, uh, so years later he had the Texas governor. We went and met, like played a show with them. And it was, it's kind of cool. Cause William was like super starstruck and I didn't really know what to expect, but then it's still to this day, like their performance, um, and that's a band worth checking out. There's a couple albums out there. Huh. Really amazing band, Texas Governor. Um, that performance, his performance that night is still one of my all-time, like, greatest performances I've ever witnessed. Like, he was going through some heavy, heavy stuff that day. Like, and um, <laughs> and you saw it all come out. Like, you saw him release it from his body, like, on stage. Wow. Like, he's playing... Um, that that was an amazing show. He had like had to check his stepson into an insane asylum that day. Oh jeez. Yeah, it was like really crazy. Yeah. And uh, and we were like, he told us that. I was like, are you okay, man? I was like, just upon meeting him, I'm like, you you okay? You look like you like you seem tired. Like you've been up for a few days or something. And he's like, oh no, I'm fine. He's like, well, actually, I had to, <laughs> I had to like take my stepson to, uh, to a, a you know a place today because he's been getting very violent. I haven't been getting a lot of sleep. It's like, I was like, oh man, I'm sorry. And he's like, oh no, I'm just joking. <laughs> like, I mean, we're like, oh, weird joke. And he's like, no, it really happened. <laughs> we're like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, what? What is this? And then, uh, and yeah, but that's that, it was that kind of performance, those kinds of performances that mean something to me and, yeah. and something that I still um, really uh, try to do, you know, is tap into to what I'm feeling and pull it out on stage. But, so we had become friends with the Texas governor back in 03 and they would come down south and play with us and we'd go up north and play with them. And then, and then, uh, <laughs> William had promised to book them a southern tour with us or like through North Carolina. Yeah. Um, in like sept, probably around September, uh, right before the breakup. Um, and, and he'd totally like for early next year. And they hit him up in January and said, any luck on those dates? You know, did you, did you figure out anything with those dates for February? And William was like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've got a line on that. And he basically like called me and Garrett and like, 
dude, I was supposed to book this tour for Art Lord and the Texas governor, and I totally forgot, and now they're asking me for, like, when the tour's starting and all this stuff, like, in the next month. Like, what should I do? And that was the whole catalyst of Future Islands. Mm. It was like, well, I guess we should, like, start a band. <laughs> so we started, we hit up our buddy Eric, who is the bassist in the kick-ass. He'd always wanted to play drums for, for Art Lord. Um, so he was like a metal bassist, but he his like dream was to be in a dance band. Cool. Like, like his cool. like he, he was a he was an amazing like technically like technically skilled bass like metal bassist, but his favorite band was the Faint. Okay, you know yeah. like the early Faint stuff where you know and and he was always front row at every Art Lord show in Greenville, just rocking out. So we hit him up and we're like, do you still have that Simmons kit, man? Because you used to have one of those. You know, those hexagonal plate oh, yeah. uh, Simmons kit sets. And um, and he was like, yeah. He was like, you want to jam? And um, and we got together and William booked a tour uh, three weeks in advance. He booked he booked like a four-day tour across North Carolina. And uh, and we wrote seven songs. And, and that was, that's what we did. That's awesome. I think we played Joel. We played Joel's living room in Asheville. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, yo, Joel, can we... That's an easy show to book. Like, yeah. Can we play in your living room? <laughs> um, and, uh, and yeah, yeah, that's kind of... That was the beginning of Future Islands. Um, but shortly after that, like mid... Like early July is when I left. I just left Greenville one night. Um, I kind of had like a nervous breakdown and um, just like realizing how bad off I was. Mm. And just like went home to my folks and was like, like, I have some problems. Can you help me? Yeah. Like, I've got some bad drug problems. Like, can I come here? Can you let me like clean clean up here? Mm. And uh and and yeah, and that was that was a re regeneration for me. Because like I said, you know, I came in I came in so with a head full of steam, like into college, and I just left just like <laughs> depleted yeah you know? yeah um i didn't i didn't really like early future islands um i felt we had lost some of the emotional qualities of of art lord and eventually we would find that again and part of it was me like i wasn't writing i, I felt my my writing was suffering because i was just in a really dark place mm. um uh, uh physically and mentally i was in a really bad relationship um, with somebody and once I got once I left town it kind of it took the weight off of me uh, for a bit you know it took a while till I could be like a human yeah um, uh, and then just like figuring out who I was again and yeah it took a couple years though till I started writing like good good verse again mm. well we, I you say you feel like the the earlier stuff was just kind of whatever or something well i don't know i just felt like i was just kind of like bleh mm. you know like i didn't take the time to and then again you know as to say like we wrote you know we wrote those that what would be the first ep that was written in you know a week and a half yeah you know yeah yeah and uh and so i was it was all kind of rushed it's just like maybe i shouldn't hate on that stuff there's some, there's some interesting turns um, in it, but for me, it kind of represented a point in my life that I didn't really, I didn't really care to go back to, and I think yeah. that's that's kind of what it symbolizes, you know. I felt like it was dishonest in ways, you know. <laughs> I was dating this girl who was like, 
you write all these songs about girls, like with Art Lawrence, like, why don't you write a song about me? Mm. So I was like, okay, like this song is about you and like write her a song, <laughs> you know? It's like, this is disingenuous. Like this is dishonest mm. to the writing and and like, I'm not writing a song about you because I don't really care that much. <laughs> like, right, Like right. this is a bad sign. Like if that's the sign you want, you know? Yeah. It's like a relationship I was trying to get out of and I was too weak to to let go or to... She wouldn't let me go. And then I was like, okay, I guess I'm just here then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Um, but uh, but yeah, so this is just like some of that stuff. I mean, there's like a song Changing Your Life, which which I think was kind of a call to myself, you mm. know. Um, uh, it was kind of written for for Biebs and then but it was really it was really for for me too, um, because I needed I needed to make a change. Um and you know, like current stuff like balance. The song Balance by Future Islands is very much a calling to myself of that time. Yeah. You know, it's like myself now talking to that person. Yeah. Um, wishing that I had had that person to trust. I mean, because when you're that age, you just don't listen to anybody. And when you're when you're messed up on drugs, like, you, you won't listen. You don't yeah. listen until it gets so bad that yeah. you make the decision um, to, to change. And that's what happened to me. And I was really lucky, you know, because I lost friends. I lost friends to that stuff, and um, and yeah, like so. How did you actually like kick drugs? It was like, was it? I mean, it was cocaine, cocaine or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was just like, I was a gram a day for a couple years. Like, how how did you stop? I just went somewhere I couldn't get it, which yeah. was home. Home, yeah. I just went yeah. home. I gave my phone to my parents and just said, like, destroy this phone. Yeah, yeah. You know, just like. You know, they're like, do you want to go to rehab? I was like, I don't want that. I just need to be, I just need to just sit here. Yeah. And like, not, don't let me, don't let me go. And there were times, there were times like that first couple of weeks where I was just like, I need to leave. You know, like I'll get a leave in the middle of the night. And yeah. Drive to Greenville and come back. And it's like, no, 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 no. Um, and uh, after about, after about a month and a half I was able to leave and go out. And that's when I was just, I was just staying across North Carolina. Like I was mainly staying in Chapel Hill uh, with some buddies. Cause I, I just couldn't go to Greenville. Yeah. You know, cause that was just, I knew that I would get back into the stuff. Yeah. And the guys were, cause the guys were fine. The night that I left town, I hung out with Garrett and William and basically was just like, you know, telling them what was happening to me. And they knew what was, I was going through, but they also, and you know William had tried to to get me to stop, but I wouldn't listen. And then that day, I just basically divulged everything and was like, "I need help. I need to leave." And they were they were cool. They were like, "Go do what you have to do, man. Like we love you. Yeah. You know the band can wait, and it doesn't you know it doesn't matter. It's like important that you get better." And I was like, "Thank you." You know, I was like crying my ass off, just like, "I'm sorry," you know, because I felt like I was leave, letting them down by leaving, um, because I felt like I was just like leaving. I was basically leaving everything. Yeah. You know, that's how it felt, especially that time. Um, and then, uh, and yeah, yeah. So, so I was down there for a while and then we went back, we started back out on the road. Um, so this is, yeah, August, September, 2006. I started seeing somebody else at that time, long distance. And I was just like working odd jobs um, to uh, sustain myself. Uh, construction jobs down in Wilmington and out in Asheville. Mm. And then I eventually moved to Asheville with the girl I was seeing. She lived down in Florida and we came up there together. Oh, yeah. 
And that was kind of a new chapter, trying to figure out how things were working with the band. Because we weren't really writing, because I was so far across the state. Um, but into 2007, we finally wrote, like, a full album as Futurons with Chester. Yeah. Chester was doing one of his, like, touring oh, yeah. production things. Like, he was he would tour the Southeast and, and like, connect, you know, kind of like, kind of like a, yeah, like, playing a show tour. But yeah. then he'd be like, I'm going to come to your house and record your band. You know, does anybody want to ha- house me? Yeah. <laughs> and it was kind of amazing. So we, that was that was our second time working with Chester. He had done that at the Bonquay house once. He stayed there for three days, and we did some some weird early Futurons recordings um, that a couple of them would end up making it onto Wave Like Home, the first first LP. Yeah. But, but yeah, that was July 07. Uh, I went down to Greenville for a few days and did it. And, you know, that was, yeah, this is all kind of regeneration period. That was, I think it was that writing session was the one that felt, it was like the first time I felt like I'd written a good song in a long time. Because mm. we wrote, in those three days, we wrote and recorded, uh, or I'm sorry, we, we recorded uh, Wave Like Home, and uh, we also wrote uh, three, of the, three of those songs on the album in those three days, Little Dreamer, uh, Old Friend, and the song Wave Like Home, uh, which are probably, in my opinion, like three of the strongest cuts. And, um, and it was also the first time I'd created with my dudes in a while, you know, yeah. that we had had the time to to like sit down and write and uh and see what was up and that felt good but the song old friend uh in particular was one that it, it was kind of like it speaks to it in the song and the lyrics um uh, i whisper the tongue like an old friend i cherish my time here alone um and it's kind of like i you know i speak to myself you know i i yeah. i talk to myself sometimes um and uh i cherish this time but but you know who is this person? The, the idea of the song is like the old friend is the is yourself. Yeah, basically. Okay. Like it's good to see you again. Like where yeah. did you go? Because I yeah. felt like I was, I felt like I was re, I was becoming myself again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, uh, past that person that I had become. I felt like I was in a, I was coming into a happier place again. Mm. Um, you know, uh, away from that dark, and that was kind of speaking that like fire in the gut. Feeling the fire in the gut again, um, the urge to the urge to create, mm. but, but uh, and so those lyrics were really writing that song was really important in those times because it felt it gave me it kind of inspired me, and then and then that was you know six months later we moved to Baltimore yeah so okay and what, like what was it just based on I because I, I always felt like. Well, they got a cool thing going in Greenville. Why would they come up here? <laughs> like, oh, like man. Oh, but, oh, but I guess you had already been like, yeah, I can't I, stay in Greenville. Well, that was kind of the thing. Like, so the the big reason we moved to Baltimore was because so I was living in Asheville all of 2007. Uh, William William was living in Raleigh uh, for he lived in Greenville for half the year, and then Raleigh the second half of the year. And Garrett was like locked into Greenville yeah. with like his his girlfriend. He was like like there. And the idea of him, like, moving to Baltimore was just, like, he's just, ah, that's not happening. Yeah. He's like, I'm not doing that. Um, and Eric, Eric as well, um, who Eric was with us till 2007, into 2007. We, me and him got in a big fight, uh, and he quit the band. But, but so he was, him and Garrett were like, we're not moving to Baltimore. But so I was trying to convince the guys to move to Chapel Hill, and... 
and Garrett and William were like, I'm not moving to Chapel Hill. And William was like, we moved to Raleigh. And I was like, I don't know. That's like a little close to, to Greenville for me. And then I was like, well, I'll move to Raleigh. But then Garrett's like, I don't want to move to Raleigh. Mm. And so basically, like, the three of us couldn't. And Garrett was like, why don't you guys just move back to Greenville? <laughs> like, oh, yeah. No, I can't do that. <laughs> and so, so we all just couldn't decide. And in the end, um, <clears throat> the thing is, like, uh, future, like we, it wasn't a band move. Like, by the end of 2008, um, William and me were, like, talking to each other, like, hell, dude, I'm not doing this anymore. Because I was in, like, I was kind of in a creative drought in Asheville, which was probably good for me. I was kind of, like, looking after my health and stuff, um, getting better. But but I wasn't creating anything in the city. Like, me mm -hmm. and Joel were doing Flesh Epic at the time. Yeah. That's when we started that. And that was really cool. But he was he was busy with school and work. And I was kind of, like, in, you know, I was in love just like in my own world and trying to make, you know, trying to make ends meet working nine to five jobs uh, or nine to seven jobs sometimes yeah. um, in concrete labor and also Domino's pizza. What's up? That's right. I delivered. I delivered for the man. You remember when I <laughs> asked you if you were sad when I was asleep one time? What do you it, mean? It was like, it was one time staying in Asheville uh -huh. and you like came out in your Domino's uniform. <laughs> I think I must've been like, having like a weird dream or something but you're like i gotta go to my job at domino's and i was like are you sad i was probably like, you were just like yeah i guess i don't know <laughs> <laughs> i just gotta go to work dude i don't remember that that's amazing <laughs> that's amazing yeah i worked there like six months that was because we we moved there we didn't have any money and then yeah. a week later we really didn't have any money <laughs> and so i was like baby i'm gonna go to every pizza place I can until I get a job delivering pizzas because I can do that on the spot and yeah. bring cash home. And I went to Papa John's and they said, we're not hiring. You should go across the street to Domino's. And then I got a job. Tight. And they were like, you want to start working right now? I'm like, please yeah, bring these 30 bucks home so me and my baby can eat. I got fat as hell working at Domino's though, man. <laughs> I got fat sitting on my ass like eating pizza. I was be like, oops, I messed up this pizza. I guess we can eat it now. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, that's how that works. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. It's, well, I, I forgot where we were at. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess you were saying it wasn't like moving to Baltimore wasn't even like oh, you weren't yeah, even yeah. moving up as a band, I guess. Yeah, the thing was like I was just I mean, I knew so this by this time by this time I'm twenty three, um, I have no I have no life skills. <laughs> I have no job I've got no job skills. Um, I am a college dropout, but like ruined my college career. I'm like, well, maybe I can go back in eight years when I can get my, like my record expunged, mm. but I just like ruined, ruined my college career. It's, it's kind of like, you know, you know, you can't fire me. I quit. Yeah. It was my dropout style. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like you're going to try to kick me out. Like, <laughs> I'm not even going to your school. What are you talking about? Uh, <laughs> and then, um, so I'm hitting up William because William has the same in my in my mind at that time. Like William has the same hunger that I have. Yeah, like he wants to make music, and I'm having the realization like I can't do anything else. Like the only thing, the only like skill that I have that I know that that I'm either I feel like I'm good at or I I enjoy is is music. Yeah, and like I like performing, performing, um, writing. Like that's what makes me happy and that's what gives me makes me feel like I have a purpose um in this in this world which is 
you know, hard to find sometimes. Or uh, if you can find it, hold on to that purpose, you know. Yeah. For me, that was, you know, music saved me in a lot of ways um, because I knew that because when I felt like I was losing it, that's when I changed my life. Like when I felt like I was losing the word, that's when I changed my life. Mm. Um, that was scary. But um, so I basically hit up William and was like, well, I think I'm just going to move to Baltimore and start a new band. Like, we got all our buddies there because you guys were still coming through. Um, Dan, like, had just dropped uh, probably Acorn Master and was working on Spider-Man. Yeah. Or maybe Spider-Man had even come out by, maybe it came out in 2008. I can't remember. Um, into 2000, 2008. Anyways, like, all this stuff is popping off. And, and I just feel like I don't know where I am with, our band and uh and i'm not creating on a regular basis and it's making me kind of sad so uh, i hit up william and tell him that and he's like well that's what i want to do and i was like cool we can start a band <laughs> we like are already in a band <laughs> let's start a band in baltimore so uh william beat me up into 2007 and i got up there me and my girlfriend at the time moved up beginning of 2008 oh i just i just missed it or no when is it january 20th that'll be my Oh, cool. That'll be my, uh, was that nine years? No. Seven years. Seven years. Seven year anniversary. Lucky number seven in Baltimore. And, uh, and yeah. So shortly after that, but Garrett, Garrett was in a long term relationship. Shortly after that, he got his, like, him and his girl split up and he was really depressed and lonely in Greenville. And me and William kind of took advantage of that. We're like, Move to Baltimore. Your homies are here. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, everything's cool here. And uh, and so Garrett ended up moving up mid-2008. And that was, that was like, the first time that we all lived in the same city for, yeah. like, two and a half years. Totally. Well, two years. But even the last year that I lived in Greenville, I was so on another planet, you know, um, with my own shit that I wasn't really even there, you know? Right, right. But I felt like it was the first time we were together for three years, all kind of feeling... You know, feeling uh, like we had tons of friends. Like, I lived in Asheville for a year, and when I got to Baltimore, I realized I had more, like, in the first couple of days, I realized I had more friends in Baltimore than I even had in Asheville. Right. Which was crazy, just from, like, seeing people and being like, you know, wow, this is, like, all my homies that I only, you know, I see a few times a year yeah. or something. They're like, oh, right here. Um, and that was a really good feeling. Um, but uh, so we, when Garrett moved up, we all kind of made a pack, like, you know, uns unsaid pack that that uh, that this is that we were gonna go after this thing. Mm. You know, it's like, well, we're all here, and I guess well, we did say that one day. I was like, you know, this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be yeah. a musician. Like, I want to be on the road, and like, this is the only thing I have, guys. Like, do you guys want that? And we're just like, yeah, I want that. I want that. And that was that was kind of us getting to work because like we were in so inspired by you guys, you know, in, oh. in the Baltimore scene, yeah, like yeah. we had still never done, we'd never done a U.S. tour, a full yeah. U.S. tour or anything. Like we'd never been to the West coast. Um, and we moved in, our record finally got released. Our first record on upset the rhythm where we did our first, like Garrett got up in June, August, we did our first U.S. tour, which, when we got back home, we immediately flew to the West Coast and finished the second half of an adventure U.S. Oh, tour. Right, right. And then we did, we did a uh, Alaska and a regional tour, and then we did the Baltimore Round Robin tour. Yeah. And that was all like four months straight, basically four months straight touring. And like, so we went from 
kind of a zero point to out there. I yeah, and I I felt like the Baltimore round robin tour. I I remember feeling like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I felt like you guys had like pockets of fans like coming out to see Future oh, yeah, yeah. already. Definitely, at that time. yeah, yeah. There were there were a few in those zones. I mean. That was that's still like one of the most amazing tours totally to ever go down in the history of the world. I totally agree. Just like, you know, was it fifty two people between I, like it, it, at least. I think yeah, it might have been twenty two like bands. Sixty people. Yeah, so. it was crazy. Yeah. Like for the people that don't know, it was Dan's or it might not be the same Veggie Oil school bus, but it was a Veggie Oil school bus and two sixteen passengers and two you know, like two dates in eight major cities. And just 22 bands. Like, we would roll into cities and just be, like, a mob of people. Yeah. It's like, we brought all the whole... <laughs> or, well, I shouldn't say that, because there's still people that I know who are like, man, we just missed that. <laughs> like, we just <laughs> missed the round robin, or we didn't get invited, man, that sucks. It was like, it was kind of, it was just an insane thing. Like, that forged a lot of relationships early on yeah. in, uh, in the Baltimore scene for us. Because, like, we were scared, kind of, coming in. And, you know, we had... We had our buddies, um, had all you guys like on our side who were psyched for us to be here. But at the same time, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know, there was a big spotlight on the city. Um, and we didn't want anybody to think that we were just like taking from that. You no. know what I mean? Um, we wanted to come in and and kind of prove ourselves mm. that we were that we were about it, um, that we went hard, you know, and and. uh and that we were we were all we were about our music. So so it was really important for us to define ourselves in this city. Um and I think that that was important to our growth. But just being in this city where, you know, I moved from a place where I didn't have a key to my house, you know. Right. There wasn't a there wasn't a key to my house, you know. I never locked the doors of my car yeah. to moving into an area where I just had bars on my third story window. I'm like, where am I, man? And feeling this kind of kind of a real a, a real vibe, um, really real vibe that I that I think I th I thrived on, you know, in feeling in feeling like I don't want to sound like a jerk or, a, or an idiot here, but it kind of it it fed into the artist the idea of the artist struggle. Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I was like, I'm out here, and I was struggling. We were all struggling. Of course. To, to you know, I was I was still working. I was still working a forty five hours a week job and concrete construction right and going on tour you know when i could until i lost the job because i was on tour too much mm. um but that's that's kind of when things turn so um yeah i think i could see compared to like the carolinas it, it, yeah it feels more like the struggle is more like visceral or something like oh yeah, yeah. well i'm just laid back man yeah i yeah. mean the truth is like I want to, I like, I love North Carolina. I want to be in North Carolina, but yeah. I also know that I will get lazy as hell there. Right, right, like, right. I just sit on my porch all day eating like Bojangles biscuits <laughs> and drinking sweet tea and being happy as shit, but I won't do anything. Mm. Like, and I think it was, and that's why I think Baltimore has been so important for us because it, it not only allowed us a place to create freely where we felt like we weren't like kind of the, one or two weirdos doing right, it. You right, right. It wasn't like, because in North Carolina, we were just the weird band of North Carolina. Like, we had we had a good fan base with our first band, um, but everybody was just like, 
you know, these weirdos, like, playing keyboards, like, what is this, you know, where's the guitar? Yeah. You know, that was kind of the North Carolina vibe at that time, and, like, still today, there aren't a ton of, like, like kind of synthy bands. I mean, that doesn't really matter, but, but just to say, like, you know, North Carolina is and probably will always be guitar-dominated. Yeah. Um, well, still, Vanessa was a great band that came out of North Carolina um, last bit, but anyways, uh, you know, it was like us and ear power. <laughs> right, right, right. Ear power homies. But uh, but yeah, we came to Baltimore. We just felt there was a kinship. And we yeah. already knew that there was a kinship because we yeah. met all y'all, you know, yeah. um, through all the bands, um, uh, all the bands that we had played with over the years. So so we kind of, we knew that that existed and we felt we felt free to create, but we also wanted to, to define ourselves. And we also wanted to be, wanted to be doing what you guys were doing, which was, which was working your asses off. And, yeah. and putting in the time on the road. Um, you guys kind of, uh, I know William always cites the the Wham City and the Baltimore crew and our buddies Valiant Thor that kind of just taught us that you, you know, if you want something, you just like go out and, and put in the work, you know? Yeah, yeah. Like, like you just got to get out there. And that's that's still a big part of our our MO as a band is just totally. like media, like being being in your city, like, like you don't have to like we will be in your city maybe not in the year but we will be there because <laughs> yeah. we're trying to play like everywhere we can um get as near to people as you can and to blow people's minds so you know you were saying you got um you got fired essentially for as these tours started to oh pick yeah up. Like, well my boss was cool enough not to fire me but he was like he, we're gonna yeah. have to we're gonna bring in somebody i've had i've had a few of those as well can i give but, a shout out yeah luke works what's up luke works that's my people luke works stand up yeah. <laughs> best dudes and best boss i ever had amazing but, guy but like so was there a point with these tours i'm trying to trace like what like when did things start to pick up for you guys um, I, I feel like they all they were for a long time, but like I feel like there was a point in like was, around then. Maybe? It was probably a little bit later on. Like so, so yeah. I mean that was the kind of the whirlwind. So Garrett, we all three reunited in Baltimore in uh, June of '08, and then did our first U.S. tour July, um, July and August, and then in February we did our first European tour. So oh, yeah. within within like. I don't know, eight months, we had gone from never doing a U.S. tour, and then we did a U.S. tour, and then a European tour, and then we got back from the European tour, that was February. Booked by you guys? Um, that was booked by this guy, uh, Andreas Cole, who actually still books us over there. Oh, that's right, that's um, right. He, he uh, was heading up Southern Records in Germany at the time, and uh, he uh, he does press as well, yeah. as uh, being a label head. So he, he was running press for Upset the Rhythm, the, uh, have you ever done a sh show out? I never there have. Them? There's like, um, he did a he did a thing with Upset the Rhythm, uh, or he did press for, for them, and that was like, our boot, the label that put out our first record, and he heard the record and was like, what the hell is this? I must have, I must <laughs> book this band, uh, which is funny because Andreas is like more a straight like metal and punk dude, like mm. he's from the era, um. You know, he used to he used to like roadie for the cramps back in the day, like oh, sell merch for the cramps in the eighties and sh stuff. Like, like he's got the old school cred, you know. Yeah, and works with works with tons of big bands still today. But he heard us and was, I think he was really struck by it. like, what the hell is this? Yeah, and uh, he contacted us through Chris because Chris used to uh, who uh, was one of the heads at Upset the Rhythm used to intern for Andreas at Southern, 
So he hit up Chris and said, like, can I contact them? I'd love to bring them over. And so they brought us over overseas. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and then it was kind of, so that was crazy. We're like, what the hell are we doing here? Um, and then, you know, in Europe, and then we got back and then we immediately went on the, the, uh, the Bromps tour. Oh yeah. The Andy Bromps tour. And I think that was, that was a, a big step for us. Yeah. You know, that allowed us to, we were playing consistently large shows every night. Um, uh, getting a good response, selling a few records, um, but really, like getting to play to people was the big thing, um, and and kind of spreading, allowing that to spread like word of mouth style, which is was always been our style, just like getting yeah. out, you know, get out on the road, play, and hope that people talk about you, you know, hope you make an impression. Um, but uh, yeah, and that was we met Thrill Jockey around that time, and uh, and shortly after that in july we we started recording our second record in evening yeah. in the living room of mia williams house in Bol in uh, marble hill yeah and uh and yeah i don't know that just kept rolling we just kept rolling but that the beginning of it in in evening air happened at the end of 08 and me and my girl that i moved i'd lived in Asheville with and moved to baltimore with had gone back to Asheville. like we like we it, things didn't work out and mm. i was kind of devastated but i was also in this insane new world of just being nowhere you know yeah which i think is some that's like the best place to be when you're going through heavy stuff at home <laughs> you know like i had an empty i was like so i was like paying a rent on a place for the two of us that i didn't even live in you know <laughs> yeah and yeah. i wasn't even nobody was there she had moved out i was gone and i'm just like why am i paying this and it was just really sad to me. Um, mm. And then, and and so, end of 2008, we that's when we wrote like Tin Man and Long Flight, um, which would be songs and Apology. But Tin Man, Tin Man definitely was like the song that was kind of like heralded us, like pulled us through that Bronx tour and then would be like the single uh, for an evening air um, when that would come out. Did you guys, did you have a feeling of, with some of these songs, like these, it's a funny term in like the indie world, but it's like, did you feel like they were like hits in some way? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, at that point, I was like, I was kind of on the verge, man. I was like kind of on the verge of just like calling it quits or something. Mm. Um, and that's, and, and that is to say that I believed in the songs so strongly that I was like, if people don't get this, if like nobody picks this up, then I don't know if I can do this anymore. Mm. Like because I was, it, it, you know, you know, it's hard. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's hard to not like. Uh, I don't know. I just wanted I just wanted some some respect. Like we just didn't get any respect from from any labels that um, were just like why you know we were talking to some labels just like what's the deal like why won't anybody like pick up our stuff Yeah, you know. Um, and just feeling like it was crazy to us that more people knew us, more people like knew about us in, say, like London than did in, I don't know, Detroit or something or, yeah, or yeah. Seattle. It's like, you know, our CDs are nowhere in the States. Like our right. first record, our first record didn't go anywhere in the yeah. States. Like there because there wasn't the distribution. And if you wanted to buy it in the States, it costs like $35 or something, you know, $30, $35 for an import. It's like this is ridiculous, you know. Like, 
Um, yeah. So we were just selling them by hand at shows. And then, um, which like I said, it's cool. But I was kind of, I was, I was definitely feeling like if nobody gets this, man, this is, you know, because I, I was just hurting with the politics of, of what it is. You know, you see so many, you see so many young bands that just like, they just like go straight to the right. top and you're like, well, I'm kind of on the cusp right now. You know, yeah. I was like, to, to like at that time I was like 25. I'm like, I'm not, I'm not a young man anymore. And then, and that's the whole funny thing about this last year for us. I was done. I was done with that thought. You know, like for 20, like 25 to 27, um, I was, I was kind of bitter. You know, I was, I was a little bit bitter about the fact that nobody, nobody responded. You know, like critics, critics still kind of like shit on what we were doing, right? And uh, you know, just got no, got none of that big love, you know. And I was just like, yeah. you know, give me the hype, you know, like, like put it on, put it on us, like give me, give us a shot, yeah, you know? yeah. Because we were seeing, you know, I watched, I watched like that dude, uh, uh, Nathan from Waves, just like crash and burn in two thousand eight. It was like one of the saddest things I've ever seen, and that was kind of a. That might even have been a little bit of a turn for me because I went from, um, well, I, maybe, maybe not until later. When was that? 2000 and, 2009. You know, the beginning of that year, he was on his first tour ever. He was all over all music media. Um, our record, uh, you know, had just had come out just a few months before and nobody cared about it. And then I'm yeah. like, who is this guy? And we met him on our first European tour. He He played the first two shows with us. And we're talking to him, and he's like, how old are you? And he's like, I'm 18. And I was like, crazy, man. Like, I was like, is this your first time here? And he's like, yeah, man, it's actually like, this is only like my second show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, that makes no sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, You know, because, yeah. of course, at the time, like, we're we're still, like, you know, mid-20s, but uh, definitely just, like, we've been grinding so long. Yeah. Like, how is, you just got, this is your second show? He's got, like, a film crew following him around. But the thing I, what I wanted to say about him, the the sad part is we saw him there in February and then in, uh, what was that, July, August when they do Primavera, like we were there with Dan at the end of the year and, um, you know, he had, he took some bad drugs and kind of had like a meltdown on stage. And oh. it was like the same, the same music press that I had like been bitter about, uh, you know, I'm, I'm saying this because I feel like a dickhead about it. Right. The same like music press that was heralding him at the beginning of the year and though like he was a good dude and we got along like I, enjo I enjoyed hanging out with him i was still a little like bitter and jealous and right. envious of the of like the attention he was getting um and <laughs> at the beginning of the year upon knowing that he'd barely played that same press just like tore him apart yeah and just totally. like what's wrong with this dude like he blew it all and like and I, and i was just like that's so fucked up i was like you you like swallow people up. Right. Like you give right. them, you, you do this. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of bitter feelings towards the media because, you know, and that's kind of awesome because for us, like we gave up on ever getting the, the attention, Yeah, you know, and, and especially like as uh, you know, I, I turned 30 this year, Garrett turned 30 this year. Um, William turned 30 last year and it's just, uh, or he turned 31 in the last year. We were just like, we didn't need it anymore. Yeah. Because we were sustaining, like, where I was at when we were writing in Evening Air was, somebody better pick up this record or I don't know if I can do this anymore. Yeah. To being when we were recording singles and telling the guys, it doesn't matter who puts out this record because I know that we're going to be fine. Mm. Like, like, 
we're going to still tour and and we're going to we're we're going to make a great record. We're going to still tour and I don't care. Like, you know, I I mean we were moving on from Thrill Jockey, but we were hoping to make a step up. But the thing for me, like I was trying to talk the guys into self-releasing it because yeah. because I wanted to save, you know, screw the press. Right. I wanted to, <laughs> which I'm really glad we didn't do Yeah, that. I'm glad you didn't do but that. But I, I was talking to the guys like, dudes, what if we just like made the record, pressed it, and then went on a U.S. tour, and then we sold it at the shows? And then people would be like, what? It's a new record? And they'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. wouldn't that be crazy? And the guys are like, I don't know. It sounds kind of weird, dude. Because <laughs> I was just like, because fuck those people, because they don't care anyway. Right, right, right. But uh, but yeah, I was I was done with that. And it's it's kind of fitting in a way like you know once that happens a lot that happens a lot in all all forms of life like once you once you decide that certain things don't matter that you don't you don't care especially in this case um and i think with life in general for people like once you care that what people have to say like doesn't matter or what people think and you just like do what you do you know do the thing that you love yeah then then everything kind of just opens up for you yeah you know because you have that you're you're emitting that confidence, right? Almost right, in right. yourself. I mean, maybe that's the thing. It's kind of like when you get over a heartbreak. You know, people always yeah, you know, that's a cliche. Like, you know, once you think that you'll never find love, that's when you find it. Like once you don't really, once you're yeah. just like, like this will never happen. That's when it walks walks along. Right. And right. I think that's just like in terms like accepting uh, accepting that things are out of your control. Yeah. In a way. Um, because like, yeah, I don't know. We didn't, but I will say that it's, you know, it is difficult. And I also empathize even further with, with, um, you know, the people that get the hype that are young that will, cause I mean, man, they was crazy. Like just like press stuff this year wore me out, you know? How did, where are you at? It's like having to answer the same damn question. Like, oh yeah. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like answering the same questions over and over just like having to be somewhere early because somebody wants to interview you um, and these things. And it's like the same thing. Like, tell me about Letterman, you know? Yeah. Like, it's like, you know, it's just a thing, you know, it, it happened. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm happy that things have sustained, um, you know, and I feel like the record is, has gotten out to a lot of people. Uh, and, you know, now it's just about writing, writing the next record. You know, I, I kind of want to, I want to go back to being more explore, exploratory, you know, it's like digging into sounds more, but we'll see what happens. I have no idea what the next record is going to sound yeah. like. Yeah. But you just, what do you mean more exploratory? Well, we just did, uh, I don't even know that's the word. Um, <laughs> we just did, uh, you know, like on the water was a very, I don't know. We spent 10 days, uh, at, uh, Abe Sanders house yeah. in Elizabeth city and just, pretty much wrote half you know recorded and we wrote half an out half of the album there but it's like recorded it and um we're just like playing with a lot of things just like having fun with it um and uh singles was <clears throat> more together we knew what we wanted to do we did it um but it but it was the writing process wasn't wasn't business at all there was no like real pressure um but, um, or, you know, the recording process though was much, very much like business. We have to get this done. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of time to, to kind of walk, walk into space with it, you know? Yeah. Or, or 
you know, because sometimes you just want to try something. That's just like one thing that uh, I think I miss. I think William too, like, miss working with Chester just because he's he's so um, he'll just he'll play around if you want to play around. Mm. You know, like yeah. let's try this, and he's like, okay, let's try it. Yeah, he should get with Chester. And uh, we're trying we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. Are you listening, Chester? We just <laughs> dropped a snails. We're just like me and William just worked out a snails record uh, with Chet. Uh, that should be awesome. Oh really? That's yeah. about to come out. Well, I don't. I don't know when it'll come out. <laughs> We'd say we recorded the skeletons, uh, the skeleton for this record in December of last year, and it took me till December this past or December 2013, December four, 2014. I recorded the vocals. Yeah. And I'm like the last piece, but uh, it's gonna be tight. Check out the snails. Yes. <laughs> Worth the wait. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's like gonna be another year, and then it'll be done. But um. Well, let me ask you this, like, because uh, I've seen from different friends and stuff how, yeah, this press shit is horrible. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, it's cool you're getting the attention, but it's like, I'll say this, you don't have to say it, but you're dealing with, like, the biggest, like, pieces of shit in the world <laughs> sometimes. Like, <You're> here. <laughs> like I, I don't know. I, I think it's not like people think it would be, where it's like, oh, these people want to interview me. It's like, it's kind of miserable and... Well, vapid or something well the problem is but, it's just like they ask this, it's just the same thing over and over yeah it's like yeah. do some research yeah totally and they're not they're just kind of getting their job done or whatever they're not like passionate yeah about writing or you, what, you find them every once in a while definitely yeah definitely but like no i guess i'm just saying i totally understand why you're worn out but how how does that like, how's the touring now? Like, wh- what's it like? Because I'm sure this has been, like... Yeah, it's very different. Smash success tours, I guess. Yeah, it's very different. That's, I mean, a lot of it's just, like, stepping up to... I don't know. It is it's stepping up to another level. This year was weird. This last year was weird because we we anticipated stepping up to another level. But we actually stepped up two levels. Okay. By the end of the year. So, I, like... By July, we were trying to figure out how to deal with shit on this next level. And then by October, we were on this other level, and we're like, what the hell is going on up here? Yeah. Like, this is weird. So it's been it's been a big kind of transition. I mean, there are certain amenities that you have uh, that we have now, um, you know. But, but sometimes things I miss, like, we stay at hotels every night, um, which, you know... It's expensive, but everything's expensive. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you have a big crew, you know, well, that's the other thing, a bigger crew. You know, it's not just, like, the three of us in a van together or and maybe, like, a, and then a friend selling merch. Yeah. You know, we brought in the drummer this year. We've got the the merch guy. Now we have the sound guy. And uh, on a couple tours now, we've done um, a lighting designer. So now you're talking about like a eight-person crew. No, that would be chill. Um, can't steal dance people. He gets <laughs> mad. I know that. Uh, and then, uh, uh, but no, but Patrick did strings on the album. Didn't yeah, you know yeah, that? yeah, yeah. That was awesome. And horn arrangements and stuff. That was cool. But uh, so yeah, it's like the crew has by by middle of last year we were up to like five people, and now end of the year is up to eight people, mm. and then. You know, it's just like more expenses. You can't you can't just like yell from stage when you're playing to like two thousand people. Like 
yo, does anybody have a place to stay tonight? Yeah. Because that's like a, you know, it's one, if you're playing to like 150, 200 people, that's cool. And like two or three people, four or five people will come up and say like, totally help you out. But you don't even want to deal with that line of people that's like, yo, or maybe they'll just look at you like you're crazy. Yeah, that's the thing. Actually, maybe we should should do that one night. Drew Drew Swindorn. (laughs) Shut that down. Because I, I didn't want to stay at this one person's house. Mm-hmm. I won't name names. Uh, I, I'm not even going to name the city. But yeah. But I was like, I don't want to stay there. And he, I'm like, can we just like yell it out from the stage? Like, this is on the America tour. Uh-huh. And like, and he's like, I think this tour is like a little bit above yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it's true, though. Yeah. But I, I miss meeting those randos, you know. But how weird would it be? Yeah, how weird would it be if you went to see like Common and he was like, <laughs> "Is like, can me and my eight boys like <laughs> crashy?" Oh man, now that would yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. I mean, you know, you don't you don't like sleep on people's floor like it's uh, because you want to necessarily, right? It's right. out of necessity, yeah, to the thing, you know. Um, but uh, but yeah, you know, it's like there's it's there's a bed every night. But you load in at like, you know, one or two o'clock and then you are like load out at, you know, two. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you have you have to be places early, leave late. There is a bed, but you don't see much of it. And then you know, the shows are longer. Um, there's more pressure on the shows because like more people are there, more people yeah. are watching. Um, the ticket prices are higher. So you feel like you got to play harder. I feel like I got to play harder. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, that's. Those are the important things is like staying on top of it, you know, because for me, it's all about making it feel like it's the same, you know, it's like the same thing as if we were playing for five bucks to 10 people. Right. You know, in the middle of nowhere. And you just got to give it. You better give it up because <laughs> one of those people has got to buy a CD. Man. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, we need that. We need that $10. Uh, but yeah. So, I mean, there's there like all those pros are. You know, like all those pros have con sides, you know. It's yeah, like, it's like you get a proper sound check, but you have to be there really early, and you know you like you get a hotel bed, but it costs a lot of money, and you barely even get to see it. Right, right, right. You do get a shower. That's that's a good. That's that's a double pro. Um, do you, do you feel still connected to the audience in the same way? Uh, it depends on the stages. Um, it depends on the stages. You know, it's really I hate a barricade, man. Um, and some, sometimes it's really that, stupid. Sometimes that barricade, it's only like three or four feet and you can yeah. kind of reach people's hands and stuff. But, you know, you play festivals and they're like, people are like 20 feet away. Yeah. You know, yeah. and you can, I, I'll sometimes jump down on the subs and I'll jump down the subs and, and, uh, perform a bit. Sometimes I'll go out in the crowd and grab some hands, but, but, uh, it's just, a, it's just so different, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's so different. Like I still, I love to be in a, in a club setting, you know, festivals are cool, but. I'd rather be in kind of that closed, that closed environment and close with yeah. the people. But I mean, once you, you know, for me, I think it's like connecting with people through the songs, you know? Yeah. So in a way, <clears throat> when I can't, when I'm not like right, right there with people, uh, I know that as long as I get into the music, it'll be fine. Yeah. Like, cause if I can connect, if I can connect with the music, then I can connect with them. Yeah. Um, because the, I mean, the whole visual aspect is just is just very different, but um, uh, for for 
the audience and me. Um, and that's kind of one of the, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, it is interesting, but I mean, I thought we just did like, we just did two big shows at Terminal 5, which is this kind of like, Oh yeah. It's kind of a weird spot, you know, it's like a hangar. It sounds weird. Um, it's very impersonal. Mm. Um, but the second show we did, you know, it's like 3000 people. The second show we did there was one of the craziest shows we've ever done. Um, the energy in the room was, I mean, it's it kind of like heart stopping for, for mm. us. I mean, all yeah. of us, all of us felt that. Cause I mean, you know, you do this, you do this every night, you know, you play different rooms, you play different crowds, but you know, it's hard, it's hard to keep the high up, Yeah, you know, sometimes. And then every once in a while you play that kind of show where you're like, this audience is amazing. Yeah. Um, and then you, you get that high. And, um, that was, that was like another one of those kind of really big moments. It felt yeah. like setting that, that show kind of felt like setting a bar and what you hope a show was. And it didn't feel so. You know, because we did two shows there. The first night was like, it was a good show. Audience was cool. But I felt no, I didn't feel really any connection to them. Right. But that second night, I felt like we were, like, they were all right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. because of, because of their voices, you know, because of the movement. Like, totally. watching people, hearing people. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of what it's all about, you know. Yeah. Uh, for me, is feeling that, feeling that energy. Hey, man. I think this would be a good point to wrap it up. Cool, man. Cool. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks again to Sam. And thanks to you guys for listening. And we'll see you next week.